Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Marco Figado stays with us, the author of The Empires of Atlantis. 15 years it took to research and write uh, this very impressive tome, The Origins of Ancient Civilizations and Mystery Traditions Throughout the Ages. We were talking about Plato uh, before the break, Marco, and what he told us about Atlantis. Uh, and you said that he wrote both a history and it was also uh, a, a warning. It served as a warning. Mm-hmm. Tell me about about that. Well, now, what is, uh, what is also interesting about uh, Plato's account is that Plato never claimed uh, to be the author of the story of Atlantis or to have made it up. He actually uh, suggests that the origin of the story was Egyptian. Uh, he says uh, explicitly that uh, he first learned uh, of the story of Atlantis from his grandfather Solon, who had uh, uh, received it from the Egyptian priests of Heliopolis during one of his journeys to Egypt. And this is particularly interesting because in Egypt we also find very similar accounts of a lost land, a lost homeland of the gods that was destroyed in a way very similar to Plato's Atlantis. So that will be more the historical piece of the narrative. But then Plato's account is also clearly a philosophical account. And what underlies this account is a belief in cyclical time, so the idea that there are and there have been multiple cycles of uh, civilization in which uh, uh, human culture and civilization is had to start over again with very little memory of uh, what happened uh, in uh, ages past. And Atlantis, in this sense, uh, truly represents uh, the civilization of uh, the last uh, golden age uh, that was destroyed and perished uh, in a cataclysm. And uh, within this framework of uh, cyclical Time, it's almost the natural fate of every civilization to eventually fall into decadence and collapse, only to be reborn again. Did Did Plato uh, give a, a geographical location? Did he give us a, a an estimate of its its size, this landform? Well, Plato was actually very precise uh, in this respect, uh, particularly taking into account the relatively limited uh, uh, knowledge of geography, um, particularly outside of the Mediterranean, that the Greeks possessed. So Plato states uh, very clearly and very explicitly that uh, this island uh, of Atlantis was located outside uh, the Pillars of Hercules, which is the Strait of Gibraltar in the Atlantic Ocean. So there can be no doubt, based on Plato's account, that Atlantis was located in the Atlantic Ocean. All other interpretations of Atlantis as located on Santorini, in the Mediterranean, in Antarctica, they conflict, they contradict uh, uh, Plato's account. And uh, in terms of the geographical description of Atlantis, now it's also very interesting because Plato gives uh, some very specific, very precise measurements. He describes uh, a huge coastal plain 
measuring approximately 400 by 600 kilometers. Uh, and uh, this plane was only uh, probably a small part of the entire island of Atlantis, but it was really the center of that civilization. And it was entirely surrounded by very high mountains. Uh, Plato says that these mountains were the uh, tallest mountains and most beautiful mountains in the world at the time. Uh, now, this is particularly interesting because if we try to compare the geography of Plato's Atlantis, as uh, the, uh, the philosopher described it uh, in his dialogues uh, with a chart of uh, the North Atlantic seafloor, we find something uh, remarkably similar to a Plato's Atlantean plain, that uh, sort of rectangular plain, 400 by 600 kilometers, and that's the Azores Plateau. Um, it's currently submerged uh, off uh, the present-day uh, Azores Islands. But if you uh, imagine to uh, raise uh, this plateau from the bottom of the ocean, then what you would see is something almost identical to Plato's description of Atlantis. You would see a huge, almost rectangular plain surrounded by very high mountains, uh, which are nowadays the islands of the Azores, uh, which are just really the mountain tops of this huge underwater uh, mountain chain. Um, actually, if you imagine to drain uh, the entire Atlantic Ocean of its water, what you will see would be a massive mountain chain. It's called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge uh, that stretches almost from pole to pole, with a length uh, comparable to the combined length of the Rocky Mountains of North America and the Andes of South America, and heights comparable to the Himalayas. So truly a mighty mountain chain, uh, very similar to what Plato describes. Atlantis goes by so many names. Uh, not only Atlantis, it's called the island. It's called uh, Island of Flames, uh, White Island, the Island of Trampling. How do we know that all these ancient texts that give it all these different names are referring to the same place? Well, they all point to the same location. Uh, um, so if we look at the Egyptian myths, uh, for instance, the Egyptians believed that their gods had originally come from a land in the West. There is a, a set of texts uh, in the Temple of Edfu in Upper Egypt that uh, tell a story very similar to that of Plato's Atlantis, of the sinking and destruction of the Primero Island of the gods, which is called by various names, uh, Island of Trampling, uh, Island of Flames, uh, the Island of Peace, uh, or the Island of Creation. Uh, uh, and uh, invariably, that island was located uh, to the west of Egypt uh, in the ocean. So uh, there is no doubt that for the Egyptians as well, the homeland of uh, their gods, where the civilization came from and originated, was somewhere in uh, the Mid-Atlantic Ocean. Now, what is curious is that if we go to the opposite side uh, of the Atlantic, in uh, ancient Mexico, Mesoamerica, South America, you find very similar myths and traditions of the arrival of the gods, uh, these bringers of civilization. But in this case, uh, these gods came not from the west, but from the east, uh, which, of course, would make perfect logical sense if we were to assume that all these uh, civilizing uh, uh, gods uh, came from a land, a now sunken land in the mid-Atlantic Ocean, uh, and they went both east and west towards Egypt and towards Central and South America. 
So when we're talking about Mexico, then obviously we have to talk about the serpent, uh, the feathered serpent uh, god, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, then it is it is it your belief that Quetzalcoatl was an actual historical figure who was part of this, who was a refugee from Atlantis? Well, Quetzalcoatl is really many different uh, figures. I don't think there was just one uh, Quetzalcoatl. I think that's more of a collective name that was assigned to different uh, culture bearers uh, over uh, thousands of years. But all these uh, uh, culture bearers uh, share a number of similar attributes. So, um, they were clearly the bringers of a much more advanced, uh, much more sophisticated civilization. Uh, the earliest legends and myths of Quetzalcoatl depict uh, him uh, as uh, um, clearly a stranger, so different uh, uh, from uh, the local uh, indigenous uh, population. Uh, they say that Quetzalcoatl, with his companions, uh, came from a land in the east of Mexico to the east of uh, Mesoamerica, which would situate it in uh, the Atlantic Ocean uh, once again, and that uh, these uh, civilizers brought uh, knowledge of uh, agriculture, of monumental architecture, of astronomy. They were the inventors of the calendar, of uh, writing, uh, all these uh, inventions, uh, basically, that uh, form the basis of civilization. And what is curious is that these traditions that we find in Central America and Mexico around Quetzalcoatl, Cuculcanus, these guys were known by very different names, also found almost identical in so many different parts of the world. In South America, for instance, we have almost identical stories about Viracocha. In uh, Egypt, we have um, a creation account according to which the gods came from a land in the West, but also in the ancient Sumer in Mesopotamia, we have many similar accounts of uh, civilizing gods that uh, uh, almost uh, in all cases uh, were said to have come from the sea and brought a superior and much more advanced civilization. So, if you see the, uh, if you go to the, the Mexican pyramid of the the feather the feathered serpent, mm -hmm. um, you see all of these well throughout Mexico, really, but there you see all of these serpent motifs, the serpent. Uh, what is the significance of the serpent, and, and does it relate to Atlantis? Yes. So that might actually have been uh, a, a real physical attribute of these uh, these figures. It might have had something to do with uh, their uh, clothing, uh, because it's something we find very consistently. So in the case of Mesoamerica, it was depicted as a feather serpent, so this image uh, that evokes uh, feathers or scales. Uh, but then also in the Babylonian myths of the, when these civilizing gods are called Oannes or Apkallus, uh, they are depicted as men uh, wearing uh, a sort of a, a fish suit, uh, uh, something that really resembles the body of a fish uh, with scales. Um, and also, if you think uh, about something pretty closer to us, uh, the biblical myth of uh, the watchers, the fallen angels, are also depicted as these beings uh, with wings covered in feathers. So I'm not suggesting that uh, it was a, a real uh, like physical attributes of these beings, but that might allude to uh, perhaps clothing uh, or uh, some uh, some characteristics uh, 
of uh, the garments of uh, these figures. It's, it's certainly remarkable. You find uh, very similar descriptions of uh, these figures, their attire, uh, from so many different places uh, around the world. It is to suggest that what these ancient people saw were basically emissaries or messengers from the same culture, from the same civilization. Weren't the Anunnaki in the cuneiforms also described uh, with, with that appearance? Well, yes. Uh, so uh, the uh, the Anunnaki, literally the name uh, Anunnaki means the shining ones, uh, and uh, they're described in very similar terms. Actually, it is believed that much of the biblical story of uh, the watchers or fallen angels, if you want, was actually modeled on uh, the Anunnaki. So uh, they're also depicted in a, in a very similar way. This is a, this is a shining uh, um, appearance. Uh, is also one of the attributes that is most frequently associated with uh, these uh, civilizing gods. They almost have a, like a set of attributes that they would find very, very consistently um, around the world, these shining continents, um, this appearance of feathers or scales, uh, um, certain uh, uh, physical uh, traits uh, as well, like um, they're almost always depicted as uh, very tall, in the case of Quetzalcoatl, as, uh, as bearded. Um, so they, they have a number of attributes that appear to be uh, common, again, as to suggest almost a common origin of all these traditions. Isn't there also another connection between the the, the serpent symbol and what might have befallen uh, Atlantis. I think in the book you 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 suggest that the the serpent symbol could represent mm-hmm. a comet. Yes, yes. So uh, there there are many examples uh, of that. Uh, there is a wonderful monument uh, in uh, Mexico, just a couple of hours uh, south of Mexico City at Xochitlco. It's called the Pyramid of Feathered Serpents. It contains a, a depiction of what they believe is the destruction of Atlantis, where you have a representation of what looks like an island sinking in the ocean with a flaming temple on top. And then you have these giant snakes that surround the pyramid. Now, the symbol of the snake has been almost universally identified with uh, um, as, a, as a symbol of uh, comets or other celestial bodies uh, around the world. So you find it in ancient Mexico, Exochicalco, where, where the feather serpent and the serpent in general became associated with comets. Uh, you also find it uh, in ancient Egyptian records, uh, the Edfu building text that was also mentioning uh, that uh, describe uh, the destruction of the primeval homeland of the gods uh, by an enemy that is described as a snake. Uh, and there seems to be there also an allusion to the impact uh, of uh, a cosmic body. And all of these, uh, once again, uh, brings us back uh, to the fatidic time around 13,000 years ago, or 11,000 BC, at the end of uh, well, at the end of the last ice age, uh, the time known as the Younger Dryas, when now many scientists and geologists believe that a major comet impact occurred. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.